Well, good morning, Bluff Park United Methodist Church. It's such an honor to be with you here in the gathering today and to have my first chance to share uh, in a word with you today and to continue this great series that Ross has been leading you through throughout the summer. Uh, As he said, I've met many of you, but if I've not met you, my name is Billy Rainey, and I've recently joined staff as the director of adult ministries, uh, overseeing programming for all adults of all ages. Me and my wife, Swayze, over here, uh, we moved here from Oxford, Mississippi. I've been born and raised in Mississippi. Uh, But we are so excited to be here in Birmingham and to be a part of what God is doing in this space here at Bluff Park United Methodist Church. And it's an honor to be with you all here today. And I would love, if I haven't met you, to have some conversation with you after service. It'd be great to hang out uh, and to get to know more of this amazing church. And as a note to those of us just joining, or perhaps a reminder if you've been with us this summer, this summer series is called A Day with God. And it's based on the book Liturgy of the Ordinary by an Anglican priest named Tish Harrison Warren. And this book seeks to help us find God at work in our daily lives So that we may find a deeper connection with him, not just through times in the church walls and not just through exceptional moments of our life's journey and our spiritual journeys, but in the things that we do each and every day. So far, we've focused on some moments of the day, such as waking up in the morning when you're perhaps at your most, uh, definitely most smelly, most vulnerable. The moment that we brush our teeth, the moment that we are in a rush, but we've lost our keys and we're trying to get out the door. And today we're going to be focusing on the type of meal that is perhaps there to sustain us more than any other meal. And that's leftovers. Let's take just one more moment to pray as we transition into this conversation on leftovers. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. May anything that is of you be remembered. May anything that is not of you be forgotten. And through the power of your scriptures, Lord, we pray that we would see you in a new way today so that we may encounter you in our day-to-day lives. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. So as I mentioned a few moments ago, I recently got married to my wife, Swayze. We are just over a month now, so I don't have sage marriage advice. I'm not qualified for that yet, but so far so good, I think. You can ask her for the truth later, I guess. And our pastor back home in Mississippi is the one who did our wedding. And something that he said to me oftentimes in, in marriage prep and even in the homily of our wedding is that marriage is a means of sanctification. Now, sanctification is just a fancy word for becoming more holy, becoming more Christ-like, becoming more the person that God has intended us to be. And again, I've only been married for a month, so we shall see how that goes as we keep moving. But I can tell you that one place that I see this immediately becoming true is in my dietary choices. I'm 29 now, so I've spent most all of my 20s as a bachelor. And I'm not a mathematician, but one equation that I do know is that when you combine bachelorhood with culinary ineptitude, what you get is the Taco Bell app on the homepage of your iPhone ready to go at any given moment. Combine that with a Sonic app and you are at any time, at all times, a few taps away from paying $3 for a meal of great immediate satisfaction, but absolutely zero nutritional value, if not negative nutritional value. And yes, I, of course, have cooked at home before. I'm somewhat competent. But you'd be amazed at how many leftovers throughout my time as a bachelor I would let go to waste any time that I cooked because they just sounded boring in comparison to a Crunchwrap Supreme that was just right down the road from me in Oxford, Mississippi. 
But of course, marriage has resulted in combining my life, including my culinary life, with someone who has far more discipline than I do, and which has resulted in far less fast food dollar menu deals and more meals made at home with too many leftovers to justify not taking to work with me for lunch the next day. And let's be real. Leftovers don't always leave you super excited for lunch to come around when you're trying to power your way through a busy day at work. Leftovers, in the words of Tish Warren, are often necessary and forgettable. Put in another way, they're often just ordinary. In her chapter on leftovers, Tish Warren proposes what I've been considering a lot in preparation for this sermon. That leftovers and all the things that we tend to overlook have something to teach us about how the places that we overlook or avoid or diminish in our day-to-day lives are often the places that perhaps God is trying to capture our attention, to speak to us in a new way. To kick off this conversation, we're going to be looking at John 6, 25 through 35. You know, I think it's important when we read especially familiar stories uh, to kind of place the story within the chapter or the book that we're reading. So before we read the scripture, let's take a look at what's going on in the first half of chapter 6. Chapter 6 begins with a story that you are doubtless familiar with. Jesus feeding the 5,000 with simple loaves and fish, this great miracle of a meal. And now we often think of that story solely in the perspective of the miracle. We only think of this amazing thing that Jesus has done, which amen to that. However, it's really interesting to see the details we tend to overlook. In the account in John, it actually ends with Jesus having to escape this crowd of people that he has just fed and withdraw from everyone up into the mountains because they have come to try and make him king, to fulfill the wishes that they have by putting him into power. And Jesus isn't interested in that. The next morning comes around, and that crowd who got fed and tried to make Jesus king woke up, and they went looking for Jesus. In between, Jesus has just casually gone up to a mountain and then decided to catch up with his disciples by walking on water and meeting them on the boat. You may know that story as well. And by this point, Jesus and his disciples have found their way to Capernaum. Um, And it's at this point, so the crowd goes and looks for him. They find him in Capernaum, and then we see this interaction occur. We'll be reading today in John 6, 25 through 35. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, very truly I tell you, you were looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, What sign are you going to give us then, so that we may see it and believe you? What works are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to him, Very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. 
I'm fascinated with this interaction and how relatable it is for me and any of us who have felt the restlessness of wanting more, particularly putting Jesus in a box of what it is that he is going to give us. This crowd, having witnessed this profound miracle, see that Jesus is somehow able to fill their hunger in a way that they've never seen before, so they come running after him. But here's the problem. The crowd has a pretty narrow view of what the abundance that Jesus offers looks like. You recall from earlier on that they wanted to make Jesus an earthly king who could take the reins of power and fulfill their political and societal wishes, which Jesus is quick to evade. Here, the group wants this grand sign from Jesus that fulfills what they think their needs are. They want something as good as the stories of old that they've heard of manna raining down from heaven for their ancestors. And I don't blame them. Not only have they heard the story of the God of their ancestors, but they'd also experienced, presumably, this miraculous feast with Jesus. I'd want more of that, too. But as is often the case for me, Jesus responds not simply with what they're looking for, but what it is that they truly need. He responds by offering himself. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is both the giver and the gift. More than any feast that we may want, more than any spiritual mountaintop moment, more than the great memories that we often try to recreate to think of the good old days of our lives. I'm full of nostalgia right now as a 29-year-old approaching 30. Jesus is that which gives true fulfillment. None of these other things, necessarily. But this leads to a valid question. We've often heard that in the church. Jesus is the only thing that could satisfy us. But where do we find him? You know, I've been working in college ministry uh, in Mississippi for the past five years, and I think through that I've come to see that perhaps we don't acknowledge enough in church culture the struggle, the feeling of just not knowing where to find Jesus, even though everyone's telling you that's where you find satisfaction. I've felt that struggle too. And I don't have all the answers, but I invite us to consider the nature of what Jesus tells us to do to remember him. To remember him not just as a past person, but to remember him, to think of him as one who is alive. This is doubtless a familiar story for you. On the night before his death, with one more chance to teach and direct his disciples before the events of ahead were to ensue, he doesn't give the disciples some deep theological teaching necessarily. He doesn't do anything impressive or mystical. Jesus picks the most ordinary of acts to make his presence known, bread and wine. Incredibly unimpressive things. Yet this meal, according to Luke, is one that Jesus, quote, says, he is eagerly awaited to participate in. You know, I find it interesting that Jesus offers himself in the last night of his life in just such a simple, carnal way. Because contrary to the simplicity of this meal is the thrill that I am often trying to go after in my own life, particularly my religious life. Oftentimes, religious growth can be associated with mountaintop moments, Shocking spiritual experiences and exciting adventures. And don't hear me wrong. 
There's a place for all of that. Those can be very important things. A church camp altar call at Lake Genaluska, North Carolina is the reason I'm in this profession today. And Jesus himself made space for these amazing moments through the miracles that he performed, including 5,000 being fed with just a few materials. But what I've found in my life, and specifically in my time working with college students, is that when we're overfed with the pursuit of mountaintop movements, but are underfed on the simple but nourishing practices of discipleship where we meet Jesus in the day-to-day, such as participating in this sacrament every week, we'll find ourselves malnourished. We'll find ourselves more likely to feel disconnected from the God who is eager to sit with us in simplicity. We're very good at overcomplicating how to meet with God when Jesus has blown the doors open for that, aren't we? I know I am. These simple practices of life develop within us over a time a palette for the truth, forming us to be a people who become more aware of God's presence in our day-to-day life and become more formed into his image. We find God more in the mundane when we expect to meet him there and go into those places with thanksgiving, including when we eat leftovers. And this meal that we partake in, it's a good reminder of that. And I'm led to ask, What is the substance of this meal that makes it so great? Now, of course, Jesus is the substance of the meal, right? And since the beginning of the church, we've debated what exactly it means to say that this is his body and this is his blood, but I'm not going to go there. It's a bit above my pay grade. I want to set aside those debates for a minute and look at something else that's special about this meal. Luke 22, 17 says that Jesus took a cup and after giving thanks gave it to his disciples. Luke twenty two nineteen. he took a loaf of bread and after giving thanks, gives the bread to his disciples. In John 6, before Jesus disperses enough loaves and fish to feed 5,000, it takes a moment to specifically say he gives thanks to God. Indeed, the word that is often used to identify this sacrament, the Eucharist, means thanksgiving. The substance of this meal is thanksgiving for the gift of God, the gifts that we are given by God, both for the nourishment of our bodies through our daily bread, an invitation to not take for granted the gift of daily bread, and also nourishment of our souls as we encounter a love so great that it would shed its blood for us so it could meet us in the simplicity of life. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 gives us this invitation. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In the thanksgiving that this verse invites us to, in the thanksgiving that this sacrament invites us to, I don't think it's one that belittles our lament or negates it. I think oftentimes we could talk about being thankful and having gratitude and use it as a way to minimize lament. That's not scriptural. There's plenty of lament going on in a lot of scriptures. Go read the Psalms. And thanksgiving can actually go hand in hand with lament. But I think thanksgiving in all circumstances, in the highs and the lows and the joys and the laments, it invites us to look to the simple things around us and see how in any circumstance, God is trying to make his goodness and love known to us. It invites us to recognize the gifts that we have, such as leftovers to uh, to eat at lunch. We have more access to food than most anyone in human history here. 
We're invited to recognize the gifts we have, such as leftovers that can nourish us, relationships that can sustain us, not as a guilt trip to say you should be more thankful, even though I need to hear that sometimes, but as a legitimate opportunity to experience the grace of God again in a simple way that you don't have to wait for, to see God alive and well and his grace alive and well so that we may actually believe that age-old saying of Psalm 23, that God's goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our lives. Not just in the fancy ones, not just in the great feast, but in the leftovers. He tries to communicate with us his goodness on a day-to-day basis. It invites us to let go of thinking that the only way to find the good life is through that which we don't have. It invites us to know, even when we don't feel it, that Jesus promises to dwell with us in simple things such as bread and wine and the neighbor that God has put in our life already. This is why we say grace before a meal, not just because it's a good Christian thing to do. There's a theological ethicist from, I believe, Duke uh, named Norman Wurzba, who's passionate about the relationship between spirituality and agriculture. And he puts it better than I could in his book, Food and Faith. He says, to say grace before a meal is among the highest and most honest expressions of our humanity. Here around the table and before witnesses, we testify to the experience of life as a precious gift to be received and given again. We acknowledge that we do not and cannot live alone, but are the beneficiaries of the kindness and mysteries of grace upon grace. We're invited through leftovers to experience that gratitude on a day-to-day basis. Again, not as a guilt trip, but an invitation to see God's goodness in the day-to-day. We just got to convince ourselves that God is good enough to meet us in the simple things. I know I'm struggling with that a lot. But it's a very gracious thing of him to want to meet us in the day-to-day and not just in the places that we tend to put him in a box around. You know, I'll conclude by reflecting a little bit on that last verse from the reading. Those who come to me will never hunger, nor will they ever thirst. I'm led to think of the places that I feel hunger in my life. I'm led to think of places such as hunger for time to slow down so I can hold on to my 20s, right? And the friends and the sense of possibility and adventure that I tend to box into this period of my life, which is ridiculous, I know. I think of the hunger for finally being done with grad school so I can shed the chains of obligations to school. There's plenty of hungers in our lives where we think that we need to get there or go back somewhere in order to find God at work to experience him again. We have all these things that we hunger for that constantly occupy our minds, stealing our sense of peace and contentment in the moment. But the same God who has met us in the memories that we cherish and the same God who will meet us in our future and in the hopes for the future that we hold dear is the same God who is the bread of life that provides for us in our day-to-day lives. Inviting us to establish a foundation of thanksgiving that helps us become more aware of his presence and more formed into a deep abiding contentment that helps us grow more aware of how he is at work in the day to day. I could keep on preaching for a while, but really what I want to say is that God's with you right now. Not just in these walls. He's going to be with you tomorrow at lunch 
when you're exhausted, when you're wondering how can I finally get to a day of rest, how can, when can I finally get to a more of a mountaintop moment in my life. God is eager and ready to meet you in the simple things, the leftovers. And the lens through which we can become more aware of that is through thanksgiving and the little things that he is giving us day by day, showing his goodness and his mercy follows with us all the days of our lives. So as you eat leftovers this week, I invite you to contemplate how God desires to meet you in simple things. As you reflect on him, don't think of him as an old acquaintance that you'll maybe be able to touch base with again at a church event or when the time's right. Think of God as one who meets you in the daily blessings of nourishment. He promised that he'd be there, and he's faithful to the promise. And he's pretty good at doing great things through the simplest of elements. I know that because it's been about 2,000 years since that meal was started, and we're about to participate again. Same meal, same God. Thanks be to God for that. And let us look for him in the simple things and the leftovers and all the things that we tend to overlook that can serve as reminders that his goodness and his mercy surely follows us all the days of our lives. Hey friends, I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you for tuning into our message this week in The Gathering. We hope you found it meaningful and life-giving. As always, you're invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., either in person here in the chapel or online. If you want to know more about who we are at Bluff Park United Methodist Church, you're invited to check out our website. There you'll find out who we are, what we have going on, and how you can be a part of it. As always, friends, if there's anything that we can do for you, you're invited to reach out to us. We are here to help you and support you in any way that we can. We hope that you're having a great week, and we look forward to seeing you soon.